what do you think of when you hear the word democracy? A lot of people say freedom. The freedom to do this or that. The freedom to believe what you want to believe. The freedom to marry who you want to marry. To go where you want to go. And of course, the freedom to elect who you want to elect. If we all respect each other's freedoms, then a democracy should be working. It sounds good in theory, doesn't it? But not everyone agrees that a democracy is a good thing. For the Greek philosopher Plato, this kind of unchecked freedom is a very dangerous thing. In his book The Republic, Plato suggests that the democratic man is one whose freedom leads him down a path of self-destruction. The democratic man has no self-control, believes that life is only about the pursuit of pleasure, and has no ultimate direction. This radical individual freedom can force a nation to devolve into chaos. Today we might find similarities between Plato's ominous premonition and the politically correct woke world democracy has given us. And it's perhaps for this reason that Plato said democracy, with all its freedoms, will ultimately lead to a tyrannical dictatorship. Because out of unbridled freedom comes chaos, and out of chaos, a dictatorship must rise. Joining me today to talk about the democracy dilemma is American political philosopher Jonathan Anomaly. Johnny, thanks for coming on the program. Oh, it's always fun to be here. Thanks, Nick. Perhaps you could just start by giving a bit of a broad overview of what Plato was trying to achieve in the Republic, this dialogue, and why he thinks that democracy is a flawed system. Yeah, beyond flawed, he thinks it's a catastrophe. But I suppose it's, it's well, I know it's difficult to find defenders of democracy back then. And it was difficult even to find them in the modern era. Even the founders rejected, sorry, the founders of the United States certainly rejected the idea that we were a democracy or that would it would be desirable to be a democracy. As you know, at best, they would call it a constitutional republic. There's some representation um, of ordinary people, but the idea that ordinary people should constantly be voting all the time about this or that, things about which they couldn't be expected to know much, was, was a bit of a joke even to, to the founding fathers of this alleged democracy. So what was Plato up to? I, I don't want to just belittle democracy right at the beginning, but let's try to figure out why, I guess, there's been so much skepticism about democracy in world history. So first, the Republic. What is Plato up to? Well, it starts with a dialogue on justice. He wants to figure out what is justice and what is a just society. And so he starts off in the first couple of books interrogating sort of politicians and friends, you know, in his usual, his usual style. And of course, he's using Socrates as his mouthpiece, Plato is. And, you know, people have different definitions and conceptions. Some say it's, well, it's just the rule of the strong. Some say justice is just giving people what they're due. That's kind of an empty definition. And they go through a series of dialogues and, and attempts to figure out what it is. And then Socrates is asked to defend his own view of justice. And what Socrates basically says is, well, maybe if we want to know what a just society looks like, we should look to the just soul. So let's look at the well-ordered person, the well-ordered person's soul, and maybe we can make an analogy from that. So he says, well, what is the soul? It's divided into three parts. There's the spirited part, the thing that motivates you to, to do things. 
there's the appetites. Those are the obviously the bodily appetites, especially for food and sex and sleep and things like this. And then there's the rational part. And Plato thinks that the well-ordered soul, the just soul, has its parts aligned. And he thinks that the rational part should rule over the other two parts. Um, but he doesn't think it should just be a kind of dictatorial or tyrannical rule. It's not a democracy within the person, just like within the society. It's not that they're equally important. And it's not a dictatorship either. It's not that reason should rule over the appetites or spirit. Instead, according to Plato, in the ideal soul, reason guides the appetites and it guides the spirit. So you're eating the right kinds of foods or you're pursuing the right kinds of goals. But when you go as an analogy from the individual to the state, he thinks, look, we can divide people up into different kinds as well. Some people are more wise than others. Some people have more spirit than others. We can think of fighters, people we want in the military. Others have stronger appetites, maybe the artist, the merchant. Maybe they want to make money. They want to make art. They want to be famous, the, the, the writer, the scholar. But as Plato is going to say, unless the, the wiser among those in society tends to guide those who are ruled by appetites and by spirit, you're going to have a chaotic society. So just as you can have a chaotic soul, so too you can have a kind of chaotic society. And that's the point of the Republic, to try to figure out, well, first, what is justice? And then to figure out how we could actually achieve that, not just within a person, but within a political society. He seems to also think that a big problem with democracy is that Unlike other professions, you know, whether it's building or teaching or medicine, where we expect people to have qualifications, mm-hmm. pretty much anyone can rise up and become a political leader without any experience. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, so Plato recognizes an obvious truth that we all do, which is we all have different skills. Some people are better at other things, at, at many things, right? And some are only good at one or two. Nobody has a problem with that, I take it. You know, that's just the way that nature goes. But yeah, we, we also recognize that, let's say you have an artistic temperament and you live in a society in which you have infinite freedom. And maybe you're not especially wise, you're not especially smart, but you do have these skills. You know, in, in today's society, maybe you just misuse your talents and just get on TikTok all day and just do stupid TikToks. Not that there's anything wrong with having fun. You know, Plato's not against pleasure or fun, but if you're completely unguided by wisdom, and if, you're, if your social norms, your, your society is unguided by wise people, then what are you going to do with your freedom as an artist or as an artisan? You're probably going to misuse it. Maybe you spend it again, just, I don't know, doing TikToks all day or starting an OnlyFans account or something like this. And we all recognize like you're satisfying your desires by doing that. And in the division of labor in a democratic society, you know, you're left free to do it and people will reward you for it. But are those the kinds of rewards you want? And Plato's going to say, not in a just society, no. I think what I was trying to get at there is that anyone who knows how to get votes is therefore supposed to know how to run a city. Hmm. I see. Yeah. Right. And those are going to be very different skills, right? So there's, there's wisdom in the sense of what does a well-ordered society look like? What kinds of roles should people play? What kinds of rules should there be? And here you raise a really good point, Nick, because ultimately 
Actually, there's a term in Greek that we've talked about. It's very important called eudaimonia, which means excellence. Um, but it's often translated as happiness, right? So to, to the Greeks, happiness, excellence, or another way of putting it is being the best version of yourself you could be. Those are indistinguishable terms. They all mean the same thing. But you take a modern liberal society like ours and happiness means something like pursuing as much pleasure as possible or something like this, right? And Plato would say, that's absolutely the reverse of what, of what true happiness or excellence is. It's not true that you don't get uh, pleasure in, in a well-ordered society where we have excellent people. They are going to get lots of pleasure as a byproduct of doing what's right, but their goal is not pleasure. And so you're right that when we think about what is the skill that it takes to get a lot of votes, it's like figuring out human psychology, reverse engineering it, and then manipulating people. But that's very different than the skill that you want in a leader in a well-ordered society. It could be that we democratically elect very wise, noble people. It's just that Plato was very skeptical that we would do that. Let's go through the eight regimes that he discusses in Book 8 of the Republic. These are ordered in terms of the most desirable to the least desirable, ending in tyranny. That's right. But it begins with aristocracy. Yeah, and let me just say, just as a reminder, so if, if justice is the three parts of the soul working in harmony with the individual, injustice, of course, the opposite in the individual, and similarly with the city. And so he talks about there being a civil war within a particular person or in a city. You can think of an alcoholic where there's a civil war between what the reasonable part of the soul says and what the appetites want. And the same thing goes for the city, right? We can get civil war when there's a kind of inharmonious relationship between the, the kinds of parts of the city. So yeah, you start with, you know, Plato is going to say something that is very unpopular these days, but that aristocracy, at least the right kind of aristocracy, is the ideal form of government. Now, he doesn't mean just like rule by the rich or just being well-connected. I mean, we often, we often associate aristocracy with that. And of course, Plato is well aware that it can degenerate into that, right? Where it's like, you just get this governing class and why do they govern just because their parents did? Plato's skeptical of that. That's not the kind of aristocracy he has in mind. He, he's well aware that every generation, you can get this kind of degeneracy. And so what we need is some kind of process whereby the best tend to rise to the top. Plato recognizes that even in an ideal aristocracy, there's going to be some tendency to degeneration, especially as it becomes richer. Why? Because as we become rich as individuals or a society, we can get lazy. Um, we've talked about this before, Nick, and, and everyone kind of recognizes this is true. Um, in the same way that the children of the wealthy often become a bit lazy, they're not as disciplined and so on. So anyway, what, what Plato thought is one of the first things that happens is when you have a lot of wealth, but not a lot of discipline, the spirited part of the soul or the spirited part of a political society will tend to rule. And here he has in mind the difference between Plato, sorry, between Sparta and Athens. Plato loved Sparta, but he did think that one of the problems with Sparta, it was just a bit too ready to go to war, right? They were extremely disciplined, which he liked physically, but not mentally disciplined enough. And so what Plato thought is one of the worries about aristocracy is it could devolve into what he called timocracy. And that's basically where it's complete rule by the spirited part 
but the spirited part isn't tamed by reason. And so he saw that as basically Sparta. Sparta was a great society, but it couldn't last long because reason wasn't ruling over the spirit. So in terms of how we get to the democracy, Plato says that the aristocrats essentially lose control of the breeding pool. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Children are born who shouldn't be born. And the peasants want to basically have sex with whoever they want to have sex with. Yeah. And an inferior generation is born. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Plato's pretty forthright about that, isn't he? Uh, He says that that generation becomes acquisitive. They want land and they want their share of things. Yep. This leads to a civil war. And that civil war leads to the democracy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and in fact, in, in a previous chapter, uh, chapters three and, and four of, of the Republic, you know, he has the so-called myth of the metals where, you know, there's gold, there's silver, and there's bronze. And, you know, you want the gold, even though anybody can give rise to any kind of children, you know, there's a tendency in, in different directions. And what you want is for the gold to rise to the top and you want them to have children with, with other gold. You know, this, this is a kind of eugenics program. There's no doubt about it. And within the Republic, he even says that the desires of the inferior many should be controlled by the wisdom and desires of the superior few. I mean, he's not making any bones about this. He's going for a kind of aristocracy. But again, I do want to, I do want to defend him on this. There's plenty to criticize. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, we should all be ambivalent about what Plato's saying here. But just to defend him, because this is so politically incorrect, I do think that it's true whether you like democracy or not. Nobody seriously believes that everyone is equally capable of ruling, right? I mean, we could at the very least recognize that parents tend to make better decisions for their children than children do, but they're not guaranteed to. Even parents make bad choices and some children are pretty wise. So to, to recognize, to say something as stark as Plato does, um, you know, it's going to be shocking for a lot of people. The desires of the inferior many should be controlled by the desires of your... But actually, it's not that shocking. You know, even in democracy, I would contend that people at least believe when it's working well, which Plato is skeptical it's going to happen very often, we tend to think, okay, we want leaders who are in some ways better than us, who can guide us, who can lead us, right? Yeah, and he's quite a fan of democracy in many ways because it's ruled by people who love honor. That's right. Uh, They love honor and victory and winning. That's right. But that replaces the love of learning. Yeah, the love of wisdom. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And so the democratic man wants to be more of a man and less of a thinker. And he illustrates this in how the democratic man sees his mother talk to his father. Yeah. Stop thinking so much. Do more. Yeah. Be more ambitious. Yeah. And that spiritedness kind of leads to a form of reason, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, I, I like that passage that you're hitting on. That's, that's exactly right. We can think of examples in our own lives where that happens. Yeah, we, we admire the spirited. Plato basically wanted Sparta with a bit of intellect squeezed in, right? He wanted people to be trained really in harsh physical exercise. He details in the Republic just how harsh the regime would be, you know, for, for even ordinary people, but certainly for the leaders. You need extreme discipline in your body, but also in your mind. And, and that's the worry, is that without that mental discipline and without the love of wisdom, and he, and he thinks it's just inevitable that 
most people don't want to spend their days pursuing wisdom, you know, reflection, this sort of calm reflection. And that's fine for Plato, right? He's taking people as, as he takes them to be naturally. But you can recognize that if we don't have them in leadership positions, there is, there is a worry that people who are excessively ambitious will fill that role and they'll engage in things like offensive warfare. They'll engage in discipline, which he loves, but it's not adequately led by reason. Yes, it's led by a desire to win wars. And that desire can lead to a wealthy military state with more money, more land, more resources. And this, of course, leads to an oligarchy. That's right. And you hit on this a couple of minutes ago. Plato says that the oligarchic man sees the timocratic man as being quite self-destructive in a way. The oligarchic man wants to move away from that self-destruction and towards the acquisition of, of wealth as the form of security. He wants to move away from self-reflection, you mean, or from wisdom? Self-destructive in the sense that he keeps going off to battle and killing himself. Ah, yeah, 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 of course. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and so then the next move is you go from honor-loving, and Plato calls it sometimes victory-loving, to money-loving. So you, you acquire more, let's say, land through, through conquest. You acquire more status and power. And since you're not disciplined or tempered by reason, well, then you don't know where to direct it. You have all this power and you want even more. And an obvious way of doing that is to make money and pursue gold. And, and that's how you can buy even more reputation and status. But then what happens? Then we have this oligarchy who, you know, the oligarchs value money and property and wealth and status. And then other people, the ordinary people, start looking up to them. And Nick, this is something we talked about. This is, I guess, why we're having this conversation. You and I were talking the other day about how one thing we've noticed, especially in democracies, but maybe in general, is that most people are conformists. And whether you like it or not, that just seems to be the case. They'll believe whatever the media tells them. They believe what their teachers their church, whatever it is, tells them. And whether that's good or bad, we need to kind of build our institutions around that. Most people are not thinking in statistical terms. They think in terms of narratives. And the narratives come from whoever's in charge. And Plato saw this. And then when you think about, again, a kind of healthy aristocracy going into an unhealthy one, which he calls democracy, then into an oligarchy, okay, you see the leaders, all they want is money and status and power. We might call those like, I don't know, it's kind of crude, but like Instagram influencers or whatever. And then you get ordinary people, and especially teenagers, looking up to these people. And they think, yeah, like the best life is the life of money making and people giving me tons of likes and, and all this like superficial praise. And it's natural then that we move from, again, this kind of aristocracy to this timocracy to oligarchy. And from there, it's a quick step to democracy. Because the ordinary people see these oligarchs just pursuing wealth and status and money, and they go, I want some of this. You know, they're, they're going to take it one way or another. And this word, I guess, is thrown around quite a bit these days, oligarchy, certainly, um, certainly in the United States and maybe in Australia too. Like the idea that whether it's corporations or, you know, the unions, uh, anybody who has the, the money and power to influence political outcomes, 
has a disproportionate say in how things work. Or maybe, I mean, we should talk about the media, which we have. They're clearly oligarchs, right? Because they have a kind of oligopoly. There's only a few of them and there's millions of us. They control the narrative. And when the narrative goes off course, they literally call up the people who run Twitter and Facebook and they tell them, you need to get on narrative. You need to delete these people, right? You need to take them off of social media. They're going off script. And so, yeah, the oligarchs then use their power not to make other people wiser, but to make them stupider and more compliant. When the oligarchs become almost a little bit afraid of the peasants or the people, don't they? Hmm. Because they're such a large number and the oligarchs are, relatively speaking, a very small number with a lot of power. So they start to write laws to control these people. Yes. And we see real elitism. Yes. And, and there are, yeah, again, these, these um, parallels to what's going on now, I think, are pretty, pretty obvious. So you've got oligarchs in the form of just extremely wealthy people who can buy off politicians or fo- form coalitions to get whatever tax laws they want. But then there's the, the even more powerful oligarchs. It's not just about money. It's also about ideology. So promoting an ideology that reinforces their power at the expense of everyone else. And so the everyone else, they're getting poorer, but they're looking at the oligarchs and they're like, I want some of that money and power. Not I want to be reasonable like you because the oligarchs aren't reasonable, at least according to Plato, right? In this kind of story of degeneration. And so, yeah, now we get the worst of all worlds, which is huge numbers of people who are not especially well off, but then they're pursuing money and power from the oligarchs rather than at least being led in a way by, by wise people. And so now you've just got envy, right? And this envy is going to lead them to ultimately seize power from the oligarchs and demand equality. But he thinks it's equality of the worst sort, not equality under the law and all of that, although he does think that's part of democracy, of course. But he says they're going to demand equal ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want. Right. So here, equality ends up being extended to everyone equally. Even the children will want whatever they want. Right. They get to rule over their teachers. And and let me read a quote here, um, which I mentioned to you before. So he says, finally, the democratic man who gets full equality and full liberty, but it's really not a kind of liberty worth wanting. He's not led by reason. He's just led by his appetite. So Plato says, and so he lives on yielding day by day to whatever desire is at hand. Some days he's idle and neglects everything. Other days he occupies himself with what he takes to be philosophy, sometimes even politics. But Plato says there's neither order nor necessity in his life. Yet he calls it pleasant, free, and blessedly happy. So here he he goes on and he says, this kind of liberty is actually a kind of slavery. Why? Because you're enslaved to whatever passions happen to animate you at the moment. You're not enslaved by your own reason. You're enslaved by your own passions. And those passions are just copied from these kinds of oligarchs who are not worth copying. That was part one of The Democracy Dilemma with Professor Jonathan Anomaly. Be sure to tune in next week for part two, where we'll discuss the parallels between Plato's Republic and today's society.